All right, if you guys have your Bibles, open up to Acts, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read about a little, little more than half the chapter today. We're going to try and, and tackle verses 1 through uh, 22, so let's go ahead and start reading there and then uh, see what happens. All right, so Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of, of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which you must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been, he- that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing, out, or standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man of whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for all the things you've done for us. We thank you for an opportunity this morning that we can now transition away from singing music, singing praises, um, casting attention to you in that form of worship. But now we can begin to worship you through your word. And Lord, I pray that, that, that this, your holy Bible, is what penetrates our hearts and our souls today. Uh, God, I pray that you take this passage, um, that you reveal something to all of us, that you use this to, um, to soften us, you use this passage maybe to, to 
cause us to turn our attention towards you. Lord, this morning there may be some in here that, that have never come to a point in their life where they've fully committed themselves to you, or they've given their life or lives to you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you work in them. I pray that you allow Acts 4.12 to penetrate them or reveal yourself to them this morning. Lord, I pray that, that you cause all of us to change, that we all, as we leave the service in a few moments, that we leave different having heard your word. Lord, I pray that this morning that you allow me to be faithful to your scripture, that you, that you give me your, your words, that you give me your heartbeat, you give me your passion. I pray that everything that I do, everything that I say, brings honor and glory to you and to you alone. So Lord, we love you and thank you in advance for what you're about to do. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. And so what we have is this kind of continuation in what we've seen in, the, in, in Acts chapter 3. And if you recall in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple with uh, an act that they did normal. It was a normal routine for them. They would go, according to their Jewish tradition, Jewish heritage, they would go to the temple three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. And they would go and, and they would spend an hour in prayer at the temple. And it was a normal Jewish custom. You know, those in Jerusalem, many of them would go and they would they would, they would find themselves in the temple. And as Peter and John are going to the temple, they, they come across this beggar, lame man. Um, and and this, this beggar, the Bible tells us that he was, he was propped up against what was called the beautiful gate. And it was common for these people who, who were lepers, or not lepers, but who were, who were um, diseased, who were crippled, who, who were, had issues and problems. They couldn't do a, a normal life's work. They would just beg for for, for money. They beg for food. They beg for whatever they can get. And one of the, the, the best places to, to prop yourself up at would be somewhere near the temple. Because the thought was those who were going to the temple, you know, would be somewhat charitable. And so this guy had some good friends that would get him up early in the morning. It would take him early in the morning to this prime real estate at the beautiful gate. And he would go and he would beg. And if you recall, we, as we looked at the first part of, of um, John chapter th- or Acts chapter 3, he's begging Peter and John to come in. And he thinks he's got some, some good guys that are going to give him something. He begs Peter and John to turn their attention to him. One of those, I think, key parts of that passage is the Bible tells us that Peter looked intently onto this beggar, this lame man. And he asked the lame man to do the same thing with this, this deep human contact, this, this, this deep compassion. This man's begging for money, and Peter turns to him and says, listen, gold and silver, I have none. I don't have any money. Sorry. But then he says, I got something much better than money, something that money can't buy. And he goes ahead and he goes, in the name of Jesus Christ, arise, get up. He reaches down, grabs him by the hand, pulls him up, and boom, this guy starts walking. What we see at the end of the passage that we read today was this guy, this, this lame man, this beggar, was over 40 years old. He had never walked in over 40 years of life. And he begins to start walking. And, and from there, he doesn't just start walking. He starts jumping. And I don't know if he's doing jumping jacks or I'm not sure what he's doing. If it's interpretive dance, I don't know. But he's moving about. And he's giving God all sorts of glory. Right, he's, he's shouting all these praises to God. And they begin to go into the temple. And, and in, in this 
transition, kind of on their way there, there's this area in the old temple called Solomon's Porch. And as they get to Solomon's Porch, this crowd begins to kind of arrive to see what this ruckus is. What's going on? What's, what's this guy jumping up, making all this noise about? And then they realize that this was the same beggar that had been there for 40 years, begging for, for stuff. And so they're amazed. And Peter, in this newfound boldness, gets up and he, he gives this message. He talks about repenting. And the result of this, as we saw in the first couple of verses here, was about 2,000 people come to know Christ. Now, if you remember in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes, Peter goes out and he has this other sermon, his first sermon. This kind of classifies as his second sermon. His first sermon, 3,000 people come to, to know Jesus. Like, boom, one sermon, one message, 3,000 people come to know Jesus. The next time he gets up there in speech, 2,000 people. So we have the church growing from about 120 people in the upper room to over 5,000 in just a matter of a few short days. This explosive growth. Well, all this ruckus in this Solomon's porch, kind of in the courtyard area of the temple, drew the attention of some people. And what we see here is there's, there's kind of two groups that are pretty easy to identify. You have one group that, that listens to Peter's message and they make a decision, the decision to follow Christ. But then you have this other group that, that does not listen. They reject the message and they're more concerned with what's going on. Bible here in the first verse it says that this takes place after Peter's message. It says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. So you have these, this group, okay, the priest, the high priest. You have the captain of the temple. And the captain of the temple would be like um, the police force. They had, they had a, a, a police force that would, would just make sure that there was order going on in the temple. And nothing went, got out of hand. Nothing went crazy. And, and we don't, to us, to think if we had police officers maintaining control here in our church, we would think that was odd, wouldn't we? But, but in this time, during the Bible age, you have these courtyards. In these courtyards, you have these, the, the people would come and they want to make a sacrifice. They had to purchase these animals, a sacrifice. They had these money changers. There's all sorts of people. There's crowds. It's, it's almost like a, a, a fair out in those courtyard areas. And so there's this police force that would, would be there just to make sure that, that there's nothing going crazy. They were keeping everything calm. And so the captain of this police force with the high priest and the Sadducees come to see what's going on. But they're not just inquisitive. The Bible says they're greatly annoyed. It says here that they were annoyed because Peter and, and John had been proclaiming and been talking about this resurrected Jesus. For those of you who were with us as we went through the Gospel of John, and when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus, and typically when Jesus was battling a group, it was the Pharisees, Right? I mean, all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus, this, this, this group of Pharisees were always questioning, were always setting traps for Jesus. And the Pharisees were these deeply religious people. They had a, a misguided belief, but they were deeply religious. As we get through the book of Acts, we, we see not so much a conflict between the disciples of the followers of Christ and the Pharisees, but we see this massive conflict between those who follow Christ, the church, and the Sadducees. See, the Sadducees were, had, had propelled themselves into this position of being priests. And, 
in that passage we talked about as, as, the, as Peter and John and this lame man were arrested and put on trial, they were brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the, the supreme court of, of the Jews, of the church of the day. And they would stand on trial there. A majority of the Sanhedrin were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were, were somewhat of a priestly line. They themselves did not believe in any form of resurrection. But here's the deal. They weren't so much religious. They were an extremely wealthy group. And they found themselves in a place of influence in the Sanhedrin and in the temple. And what would happen is, if you remember history at this time, Israel, Jerusalem is being controlled by the Romans. We talked about that at the end of Daniel. They're being controlled by the Romans. And the Romans are fairly loose-handed as long as there's not this disrupt. And if a disruption occurs and, and things start getting crazy and riots break out, then they would get heavy-handed. And so the Sadducees, this, this very wealthy group, the one thing they were trying to protect was their wealth. They wanted to keep the status quo. And so if a ruckus would occur, they'd want to calm it real quick because they didn't want the Romans coming in and inflicting their authority. And so the, the Sadducees aren't, aren't so much concerned about what the guys are, are saying. They're not really concerned about the religious aspect of it. They just want this to be stuffled, to be silenced. And so you have that group that listens and this group that doesn't listen. They're arrested. And I, I find it kind of interesting in, in that you have Peter and John who are arrested and more than likely this lame man, this beggar, too, because when they stand before the Sanhedrin, you have Peter, you have John, and right next to him is the lame man, the one who was healed, a new believer, a new Christian. And so as they're brought on trial, and they're stood before this group of 71 leaders of the community, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the church, they're being peppered with questions. And the first question was, on what authority or in whose name did you heal this guy? Now think with me for just a moment. Acts chapter 1, the first eight verses, is Jesus speaking. Jesus is giving these kind of this last statement to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And that, in that passage we learn that takes place 40 days after his resurrection, 40 days after what we celebrate Easter. Now, this is just a few. And then 10 days after that, we have the day of Pentecost. And so we're only like about 50, 55, you know, two months at best away from Jesus standing before the same group, the same Sanhedrin group. Right? Jesus, if you remember, Jesus stands before him, had done nothing wrong. They couldn't find a fault with him. In fact, they, the, the religious groups tried to get the Roman government to have him crucified. They go to Pilate and say, listen, you do it. Pilate washes his hands of him. He says, you deal with him however you want. I'm, I can find no fault in him. That same group now is sitting there looking at Peter and John, these followers of Jesus, the same Jesus that they had crucified two months earlier. And they're tripping him up. And, and so they're saying, listen, who did you do this? And, and if they declare this being a miracle under any name other than Jehovah, it's worthy of death. Now, their view of Jehovah 
And the disciples' view of Jehovah was something much different. They were still waiting. They didn't believe. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrected body, let alone a resurrected Jesus. And so Peter, as he's peppered with questions, could you imagine standing for that same group that just had your best friend, the one you had followed for three and a half years, the one you had sacrificed everything for, ask you a question. And if you don't give them the answer they want, they hold the power to have you killed. We can think back of Peter, and we can think back of all the different mistakes that Peter made. In this whole trial of Jesus, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when they come to arrest Jesus after he strikes the ear off, he runs. They All the disciples run. Peter kind of follows from a distance to see what's going on. But we can recall the, the, one of the greater things that we remember Peter for is for denying Christ three times. That's the same Peter. I mean, and, and he wasn't even, the, two of them was just to the slave girl. And now he's standing before this council, wise, uh, very smart, intellectual, very wealthy, very influential group of people. People who had disdain for Jesus. If, if in there, when we read about Annas and Caiaphas, Annas in this passage is referred to as the high priest, but he wasn't truly the high priest. Caiaphas was his son-in-law. Annas, if you guys go back into John, you remember when Jesus went into the temples and he cleansed the temples, he started flipping the money changers' tables? You guys recall that story? That took place in what was considered the, the bazaar of Annas. Annas had worked this deal out where they were charging um, an absurd amount of money for all these animals that would be sacrificed. And he was making money upon them. He would be a multi, multi-millionaire, probably 10 times over in today's standards, in our economy. And when Jesus goes in there and he starts flipping tables off, I mean, that right there drew the line in the sand. That, right, that, that time, that moment on, Annas would be completely against Jesus. And An Caiaphas was his son-in-law, Caiaphas was nothing more than a puppet. The Roman government had removed Annas as the high priest, and he had, Annas had enough influence to make sure that Caiaphas became this high priest. So this group that had total disdain for Jesus and those who would believe or follow him, and yet Peter stands before them, and he says, listen, this, this miracle, it was nothing that I did. It was no power that I had. I love this. I mean, in, in verse 10, he says, um, let me back up. Verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if you are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Verse 10 says this, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, Yet God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. I love that in verse 8, how it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is the difference between Peter when he denied Christ three times and Peter now standing before the Sanhedrin. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the benefit, one of the, the byproducts of being filled with the Holy Spirit was this new boldness a different boldness. It wasn't the, the, the Peter we saw in much of the gospel, there was a boldness, but a lot of it was arrogance. It was, it was a stupid boldness. This, this is a, a, a calm, cool, collective boldness. 
He wasn't going to buckle. He was going to stand firm, stand in his convictions. And, and, he's saying, and I can almost see him as this, this lame man next to him says, listen, if you're here, you're going to question me on how this guy now is perfectly well. It was completely done in the name of Jesus, of Nazareth. And then I can almost see him going, the one that you crucified. And we made mention of this before. Understand this, that when, G- when Peter makes that statement, the one that you crucified, he is literally looking into the eyes of those who cast the judgment, who cast the verdict. He's literally looking into the eyes of those who went on this rampage to try and to arrest and make sure that Jesus didn't just stay in a prison cell, but that Jesus ultimately hung on a cross. That's the same group of people that Peter is talking, and he's looking them in the eyes. He says, it's the same guy that you crucified, but that God resurrected from the dead. We've talked about this several times already in the book of Acts, this power of the resurrection, how these early um, church leaders, they would talk about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And they go hand in hand. Without the cross and without the resurrection, there's, there's, there's no salvation. And then he goes into verse 12. And I, this is the key verse for this entire conversation that Peter has with the Sanhedrin. And this is the verse that gets them all riled up. And I would encourage you to underline this verse. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I have young kids. And part of having young kids is um, you watch a lot of Disney cartoons. Right? Those of you parents, right? You with me? Um, One of the cartoons that we've seen several times, like numerous, like I don't even know if I can count how many times, is Finding Nemo. Now, how many of you guys have seen Finding Nemo? Okay, good. All right, I'm going to pull some theology out of Finding Nemo. Bad theology. Do you guys remember when little Nemo, he's in the fish tank in the aquarium, and he's trying to find his way back home to Daddy Nemo. I don't remember his name. Marlin. Thank you. Thank you for the help. So Nemo's trying to get his way back to Marlin, his dad. And he's stuck in the aquarium. And he's got these new fish buddies. And he's distraught because he doesn't know how to get out of this aquarium back to the ocean, back home. And one of his newfound pals tells him that all drains lead back to the ocean, right? I mean, whether it's through the spit bucket thing in the dentist's office that Nemo's trying to get into, whether it's the drinking fountain drain, whether it's a toilet drain, in their perception, all drains lead back to the ocean. Well, I'm not saying that Disney Company was trying to create this universalism theology. I'm sure it was just a cartoon. But that same belief is what many hold to today. And that all drains may not lead to the ocean, but all drains lead to heaven. Like, if I live a good life, if I'm a a moral person, if I make good decisions, if I do the best that I can, if, if if I'm Catholic, if I'm Baptist, if I'm Mormon, if I'm whatever... As long as I'm a fairly good person, there, there's not, there can't be just one way. There's got to be multiple paths to that same destination. 
And what we see here, what we see Peter saying before this Sanhedrin group, he blows that theory completely up. At verse 12, read it again, underline it. He says this, and there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other man under heaven given among men. Another name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's not just one statement. I mean, not just one verse in the Bible that makes that claim. I, I quote this verse almost on a weekly basis, John 14, 6. Jesus himself says that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. Right? Um, here's a few others. Jesus, or John 10, 9 says, I am the door by me, Jesus. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. 1 John 5, 12 says, He that hath the Son, Jesus, hath life. And he that hath not the Son, hath not life. So the reality is this. As we look at this passage, as, as Peter's standing before this group, he's saying, guys, listen, there's only one way to salvation. There's only one avenue. There's not a bunch of drains that lead there. There's not a bunch of roads that you can pick and choose what you want, how you want to get there. There's one road and one road only, and that's Jesus, and that's it. This obviously does not sit well with them. Verse 13, it says, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This cream of the crop of society, the Sanhedrin. The guys that had received the best of the education that, they, that, that was available during the day. These were learned individuals. High IQ people. And before them were what they perceived to be uneducated, ignorant guys. Peter, just a fisherman. In their minds, they're looking at these guys, and they think, they have no college degree. They don't even have a GED. Like, they don't have the skills to hold down a regular job. But yet they were amazed. They were amazed, and they realized that these people had been with Jesus. Like, as, as I see this byproduct of the Holy Spirit... It comes with boldness, but we also see that as the Holy Spirit indwells in us, as, it, as he lives within us, he changes us. He, he allows these miraculous things that become evident in our own lives to where people will look at us and think there is something different about them. But they're still nervous. They're still bothered because they can't find anything to pin on these guys. 14 says, but seeing the man was healed, standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Like exhibit A, healed man. Boom. That's when you like drop the mic and walk off, right? Like there's nothing, how, you can't argue that, can you? It's not like a theory. It's not like we think, no, there's, like, there's literal evidence, undisputable evidence. Like this was a guy for 40 years. They had seen him all lamed, jacked up there outside the temple. They had many of the, probably the Sanhedrin had probably given money to support this guy. They had heard the beggars, please. Now suddenly, in complete health, absolute complete health, there's nothing that they can do. There's no way they can argue that. Like, he's not even limping a little bit. He's absolutely perfectly fine. And so they realize they have nothing that they can stick to these guys. 
but they're still nervous. Because if, if this new group that's forming, these now 5,000 people, that they keep making noise, it's going to disrupt what we got going. It's going to disrupt our regular way of life. This isn't how we do things. And so they, they kind of huddle up and they say, all right, well, we, obviously we, we can't do anything to them, so let's just send them off with this stern warning that they, just, they can go in, in, in freedom. We won't, we won't arrest them. We won't, we won't have them killed. We won't do anything that we're going to be nice. We're going to be gracious to them. The only deal is they can't go around preaching anymore. They just got to be quiet about their faith. Keep it to themselves. And I love Peter's response in verse 19. Peter and John both answered them saying, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20 says this, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter says, there's nothing you can say. There's, there's no threat. There's nothing that you can do to us that's going to stop us from talking about Jesus. You, you know, um, it's, it's interesting. We, there used to be a time where, where we would see very little, at least in our, our country, very little true like intense persecution against Christians. It used to be a time where, if we were going to use an example, you know, the, the, the best example we could think of would be Columbine, when you had this young man who goes crazy, starts shooting people up, and is asking people about their faith. But here's the sad reality. It happens quite frequently now, doesn't it? Um, you know, just a matter of a few weeks ago, as we heard that tragic news and of the stuff that happened in, I believe it was Oregon. And we, we see things worldwide. We, we see ISIS groups capturing Christians and then videos being sent out of them hacking their heads off solely over their faith. It, it amazes me, and I've obviously never been put in that situation, how, how these individuals, when they come face to face to something so, so horrific, so intense that they could still claim that they are believers in Christ. That they still will say, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Knowing that the outcome of that more than likely will be death. But I believe they have the same boldness that Peter had here in Acts. It's the same boldness that can only come from the Holy Spirit. There, there are some, I've had conversations with, with a few people not too long ago that, that this kind of discussion came up and they, they were fearful of how they would respond if it ever came to that in their lives. They didn't think they had enough strength or courage to do that. Folks, I don't, I don't know, but I will say this, apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't have enough strength to do that. But if the Holy Spirit's filling us, if the Holy Spirit's living in us, then I believe that he'll give us the boldness in those moments that when, that when we may become face-to-face -face with persecution, whatever that looks like. And for most of us, persecution is, is conversations with people who don't believe in Christ that just turn a little hostile. They become more of an argument, or, or, or maybe it gets turned to where we were made fun of. For some, it might just be, listen, because of your faith, because of what you believe, you're probably not going to get a promotion. Like That might be like the most persecution that we face. But even in those moments, 
Like when we have the opportunity, we either, we either hide our faith, we either bend it, or we stay strong. I believe the only way we're able to stay strong is if we're living in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 says, And they had further threatened them, or after, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign was, of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And so they had nothing to nail him on. They gave them their threats. They came back again with threats and released them. See, this section of, of Acts 4, 1 through 22 is the first time that we see the church under persecution. This is the beginning. As we step back and even look at this from a personal side, we kind of see this, this roller coaster beginning in the book of Acts, where it starts off with maybe in, in the disciples' thought process, when Jesus ascends, they, they find this as a kind of a low moment where this, this one they had followed for so long had been with them that they had given up everything to follow Jesus. And it wasn't just his teaching, but this was a, a dear friend now. As they see him ascend into heaven, he's, he's going, even though they, he told them that he was going to send something much, much greater but still, it begins with this loss of a friend, kind of this low moment. And then it, it kind of goes up on the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit comes and they receive this stuff. And so you have this motion going up and the kind of this spiritual high and the byproduct of, of Acts 1 and Acts 2 where they, they come together and there's this fellowship and, and they're growing. They're, they're following the disciples' teachings. They're breaking bread together. All this good stuff and this, this church of 120 people, which balloons to, to 3,000 people. They get over to the temple and they heal this lame man. And then you see 2,000 more. So you have this boom going up. And then they're arrested and they're threatened. And for us, I, don't, I, don't, I can only speak personally. So often it feels like when we have these spiritual high points, maybe we have a spiritual breakthrough, so often it's followed with something hard, isn't it? Something difficult, maybe health-related, maybe job-related. It may be in a relationship. But so often after we hit this spiritual high, we come face-to-face -face with something that can create a spiritual low, and, and we find that life can be often just like that roller coaster or a wave in the ocean. It's just up and down, up and down. And how do we weather those storms? How do we go through those times? How do we stick it out? Because we're going to see this theme all throughout Acts. These great things that happen, followed by a difficult situation, followed by great things, followed by difficult situations. And that's why I love the Bible, because it's, it's like life. It's real. It's something that we can read, we can soak in, and we can say, this is life. This is what it's like today. So how do we weather through those highs and those lows? And I think we see it completely in the Holy Spirit. When we rest in the Holy Spirit, when we trust in the Holy Spirit, how do we do that? Well, when Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin, that one statement after they made, realizing that Peter and John were ignorant, uneducated men, so that they realized that they had been with Jesus. I think that's huge. If we want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit, then we have to do just like the disciples did and be with Jesus. 
How do we be with Jesus? Jesus isn't in the flesh like you and I today that we can walk up and we can have a face-to-face conversation with. We can hug and embrace and feel the, the, the squeeze back. We can be with Jesus by reading our Bibles, hearing his words through the scripture. We can be with Jesus by spending time in prayer. Prayer is nothing more than a conversation with, with God. I would encourage you, we, I made the announcement today, but, but tonight we're having our upper room service, a night of prayer. It's, it's casual. In theory, I guess. I mean, it's casual and we don't dress up and we don't necessarily do anything different. We're going to sing one or two songs. We're going to do communion together. But then we just pray. We, we, we talk to each other about what's going on in the church. How can we pray for the church as a whole? Like faith, family, like whole. How can we, what can we pray about for the church? But then we talk about our own individual families, our, our own lives. Like what's going on in our lives that we, can, that we need prayer over? For some, we, one of the groups, one of the people, families that came last week, they talked about their child who's been struggling with seizures. Child's, I don't even think he's quite a year old yet, maybe just over a year. But all sorts of medication. And, and so we just, we, we let them talk. We listened and we prayed for them. We prayed for that situation. We prayed for God's healing. We prayed for patience for them, for discernment for them. See, being with Jesus is just, Spending time with him through prayer, through, through worship music, through reading the Bible, through being together with our faith family. And the more we spend, the more time we spend with Jesus, the stronger our faith becomes. The stronger the presence of the Holy Spirit filling us becomes. So this story this morning, we saw two groups. Those who listened and those who didn't. I'm not asking for you to listen to my words. I'm just asking for you to listen to God's words. Peter made a very bold statement to those religious leaders when he said, salvation can only be found in one name, in Jesus. That may not be politically correct today, but it's the truth. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. Have you Have you listened? Have you come to that point in your life where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your own Savior? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, nothing that we have done. It's a gift. Have you done that? And for those who have listened, for those who have accepted Are we bold like Peter? Are we bold enough, even though we might not stand in a courtroom and have to give account for our faith, can we sit across the table from a friend and share our faith? Can we have those conversations with our coworkers? Folks, some of the hardest people to share our faith with is our own family, isn't it? And we're afraid that maybe if we do that, we start stepping on some toes and we don't want to break a relationship. But folks, there's only one way. James tells us that our life is like a vapor. We're only around for a little while. There's no promise of tomorrow. So for those of us that have listened, are we being bold like Peter? And if not, my encouragement to you, to me, 
is that we begin to be bold like Peter and John. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the things that you've done for us. Lord, we, we try to tackle a lot of, of information today. This passage talks about a lot of different things. And we see a lot of different experiences played out, Lord. And I just ask that, that you right now work in each and every one that's here today. The Bible promises that your word will not return void. I mean, it doesn't come back empty. I don't care if they remember any of my stories today or anything that I say. Lord, I, I just, I hope that we, as all of us come to this crossroad in life, we intersect Acts 4.12. That every one of us has a decision to make. That we either accept you or reject you. We either make you our savior or we ignore you. The result of that decision carries eternal consequences, good or bad. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you convict hearts of those who have never accepted you. And then for those of us who have, the, those of us who are already saved, who are, who are Christians, who are believers, who are followers of you, Lord, I pray that you help us to find that same boldness that Peter and John had. The same boldness that this early church had. They were willing to stand up, and even though they were threatened, even though they were, they were told to shut up and not talk about you, they, they, they stood. And they said that we, they couldn't help but talk about the things they had seen and heard. God, that boldness can only come through the Holy Spirit, can only come from being with you, spending time with you. So Lord, help us spend time with you to be bold like the early church. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you could stand with us. We're going to sing one uh, final song. And after this song is done, we'll come back and, and just ask you a few quick questions.